I want to ask a question this morning. What would God really have to do to convince you to completely trust him? We've been in a series um, on what God says about himself. Finding places in the scriptures where God describes himself. And in those descriptions, we see something greater than ourselves. And hopefully more compelling than our circumstances. For the one who perhaps has been convinced all their lives that God is distant. Unapproachable. Unknowable. Or aloof. We've discovered that really nothing could be further from the truth. But I want to begin by stating something perhaps very obvious uh, to most of you uh, this morning. If we are going to know God, we will not know him apart from the revelation of his word. Uh, Last weekend, in addition to spending some time with my mother and family, I had an opportunity to to have um, an extended session with a couple, um, Mark and Barbie Bailey. Uh, They've become friends of mine. Mark serves as president of Dallas Seminary, and um, God is blessing their ministry. But intriguing to me was a conversation that I had with Mark's wife, Barbie, as God has opened up to her opportunities to just share her testimony and begin to speak to women across the country about what God is doing in her life. And she, she registered with me that there was a turning point in her life that actually became a turning point in her ministry. And that is when she settled on the commitment or the priority to read through the scriptures in a whole year, every day, to spend time seeking God in his word. And so she committed to this, and she enlisted the prayerful support of friends, and certainly her husband Mark and the family, and she said, this is what Barbie said, she said, I read the scriptures the first year, and it was amazing to me, because I tried to just come to the word of God without any categories or preconceptions or notions, and just let God speak to me, and it was wonderful And then she said, the second year I did the same thing. I took up my my one-year Bible and I read through the scriptures again from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And it began to even deepen my appreciation. By the third year, she said, I began to read the scriptures. And she said, I sat back and I thought to myself, I know him. (laughs) Wow. I about came out of my chair. I know him. I know who? I know the Father. I know him. She was delighted. She was gleeful because she knew God. She was coming to know God in deeper and more formative ways in her life because she had committed her life to seeking him in his word. I know him. Do you know him? I know you believe in him. It's why you're here. But do you know him? Do you know your father? Do you know God as he has revealed himself to you in his word? In deeper and deeper ways. Do you know him like you know your children? 
because you've invested and you've watched them and you've loved them and you've cared for them and provided for them and picked them off, off, off the ground and you've, you've attended to their needs and you've, you've been hurt by them and they've brought you great joy. Do you know God like that? Because you've sought him like Barbie in his word. You will not, nor are you able to know him if you have not known him in the word of God. And in the scriptures, he has made known himself by what he declares, by what he says about himself, and also by what he commands, what he tells us to do, and by how he undertakes and oversees all of the human experience. And you can know him in your life, but not outside the expressions of his word. Now today I want to just tell you a story, or let the Bible tell you a story, retell it actually. And to do that, I have invited you to come to Exodus chapter 15, and as the story opens, you see God's people are sojourners. They're refugees, they're pilgrims. They are, they are travelers, as it were, and they've known already the sweep of God's deliverance, the, the rush of his stupendous power unleashed on their behalf against their Egyptian captors. It's a remarkable story that leads us to Exodus 15. But now they're flighted into the wilderness to discover a life of complete and utter dependence on God. And it brings me back to that question, what does God have to do in order to get you to a place of complete confidence and trust in him? Where does he have to take you? Where does he have to lead you? Your life, as mine, is also a pilgrimage. A journey, and it ebbs and flows from mountaintop highs to desert wanderings. But it's in all these episodes that God can be known and has chosen to make himself known. I spent a little bit of time with my six-year-old Jonathan and... <clears throat> One of the things that he just absolutely loves to do is to run through the hose. <laughs> it's really not a big deal, you know, if you can get past the fact that, you know, I don't know how many gallons of water goes through a hose every, every minute. I try not to think about it. But anyway, this is what Jonathan wanted to do on one of the hotter mornings. And so he put on his little deal and off we went. And I just stood there and, you know, tried to water my son and he was gleeful he was just absolutely gleeful running to and fro and having a ball and every once in a while I kind of hit a bush or some flowers just to kind of you know make good use of the water and then he'd come back through and I'd squirt him and he was just laughing and then after that I went inside and I got a popsicle that had ice cream in the middle of it and so he's sitting drenched next to me in the chair and we're just kind of he's dripping wet and he's just licking on that popsicle and just having a great time. And he looked over at me and he said, Dad, this is the greatest day of my life. <laughs> wow. That was a high. <laughs> that was a high point. Well, it was time for school. <clears throat> Goes the afternoon program. And to his horror, he discovered that he could not find his library book that he had checked out on the skeleton, bones in the body. And he had already gotten two notes. And he said, Dad, we have got to find that book. I need it today. This is a six-year-old. 
So we went through the house. I mean, we turned up this. We turned. We looked under beds. We looked in the trunks of the car. We looked in the garage. We looked in the corner where the cat sleep. We looked everywhere and could not find this book. Okay, and he sat back down in the same chair where he just moments ago he was dripping wet. Now he's in his school clothes. He was just licking a popsicle, and he said, "Dad, this is going to be the worst day of my life." Just like that in a matter of moments. That was a low point, you see, for Jonathan anyway. But that's how life can change. You can be at once on a, on a high plane, knowing and experiencing all of God's favor and, and sensing kind of the wind behind your back and have, having just experienced God's power unleashed on your behalf. And in the very next moment, you face the dread of your life. That's how life works. It's the rhythm of the human experience. And that's Israel. But it's in these episodes you see that God can be known. And he, in his sovereign goodness, has chosen to make himself known. Both on the mountain, (laughs) but also in the wilderness. Now think of the last wondrous session of pure joy, an unbelievable mountaintop experience that you had. Got it? Maybe it's in your mind. Was it not followed nearly at once by perhaps some sort of devastating blow or a downturn of circumstance for you or your family? And suddenly it felt like you were in the middle of a desert. And maybe you wondered, like God's people, what in the world is he doing? Where did this come from? That's Exodus 15. Now as this chapter opens, (laughs) this is an expression of God's deliverance. And it opens with praise. Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he is highly exalted. We sang, my hope is in the Lord. This morning, it's a a song of praise for what God has done. Who gave himself for me. You see, this is a a psalm of praise to God. The people are singing. And there are times in our lives when we only feel like singing. Especially times, honestly, when it is so abundantly evident that God has come through. And brought deliverance or brought a blessing or an answer to prayer. Or life is just going so well that it must be his favor. And in those times we sing, we dance, we praise. We should do all three together. Loudly. With gladness. But how does faith work in the wilderness? What really does it mean, you see, to be in a relationship with the Lord God. To live a life of complete trust and confidence in Him that we have never seen. And that's a fundamental question. And in this story of Exodus, something amazing happens. And in this happening, there's a clue that emerges that I want all of us to see. And it's right, it's right here in the text, over and over again. And the more it's repeated, the more compelling it becomes... But in that repetition, I believe there's a secret to all of the life of faith, to truly living the life that God has for you. 
Um, if we go all the way back, hold your finger in Exodus chapter 15, but go all the way back to Moses' first encounter with God. It's back in Exodus chapter 3. I suppose technically it's not his first encounter with God, but it's the first kind of recorded um, encounter with God. Exodus chapter 3. This goes way back. This takes Moses back a few uh, uh, seasons in his life from where we find him in Exodus 15. Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, now Moses is actually a, um, a, a fugitive at this point in his life. Having been raised in the house of Pharaoh, a remarkable pedigree and experience. You see, he somehow lost his bearings and in a, in a moment of weakness and filled with rage at the injustice of God's people, he, he took the life of another man. He murdered someone. Now, I don't think there are any murderers in this gathering this morning. Not that I know of, anyway. But do you know that the leader of the nation of Israel, this, this um, revered individual that we've all come to love and to, to honor and respect, that is the man Moses, who gave to us uh, the, the majority of, of the beginning of the Hebrew Scriptures, um, is, a, is a felon. He's got a rap sheet. He's a murderer. And, and he's in Midian because he's, he's on the lamb. That's why he's here. And he's been here for four decades, 40 years. And that's, that's how this story begins. But it was there, you see, at the mountain of God, in this place, in this kind of dull routine of tending someone else's flock, that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that through the bush, uh, though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and, and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him, from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. <laughs> Do you want to know what changed Moses' life? Do you want to know what it, what it was that forever altered his circumstance, his plans, his routines, no doubt his marriage, his family's life and situation at this juncture? I'll tell you what happened. God spoke. Revelation. That's what happened. He encountered the living God in word. God called to him. Moses' life changed as he heard God's voice. The word of God blazed into his experience. And maybe that's your life. Maybe that's kind of how you're feeling, a little routine, kind of stuck in the inevitable cycle of your experience. Doing something good and fine, but not nearly, perhaps, what you've envisioned your life to be. This is not where, where you envisioned your life would be at this stage, perhaps. Like Moses, but there you are. You're in the plains of Midian. How does your life change? Pardon me. What possibly could make a difference in your circumstances, or in your relationship, or in your family, or in your marriage? 
Or maybe you're just not really convinced God's out there. And if he is, that he really doesn't give a hoot of your situation. He's somehow gone to sleep or moved on to more worthy prospects. I don't know. Maybe you're suffering. Or someone you love is and you're desperate facing the most daunting odds and you need, frankly, a miracle. Well, let's track and see how God works. Chapter 3, God spoke. He called out to Moses. Look at Exodus chapter 6. Turn over a couple of pages. Very first verse in Exodus 6. The Lord said to Moses. Keep going. Chapter 7. The Lord said to Moses. Chapter 8. The Lord said to Moses. Go to Pharaoh and say to him. Chapter 9. Keep going. Then the Lord said to Moses. Keep going. Chapter 10. Are you hanging with me? Then the Lord said to Moses. 11. Now the Lord said to Moses. 12. The Lord said to Moses. 13. The Lord said to Moses. 14. 14. One. Then the Lord said to Moses. 15. Singing. <laughs> that is not an accident. In chapter 15, you need to know that Israel, all of Israel and Moses are singing and dancing because God spoke to Moses and Moses obeyed the Lord God. God said to Moses, and Moses obeyed. God said to Moses again, and Moses did what God said. Over and over and over and over again. Then singing, then dancing, then praising, then victory, then deliverance, then power, then provision. All happened because a man, not a perfect man, a murderer, a felon, a fugitive, but a humble, broken person was in covenant relationship with the Lord God and willingly and by faith placed himself in submission to God and did whatever he said. They're singing. Can you just think about this for a moment? How in the world do we ever think we're going to experience real power? Real answer to prayer, real life change, real transformation or breakthrough or lift or peace or some sort of breakthrough when we simply refuse to open ourselves to God's voice by bringing our lives under submission to his word, let alone being obedient to it when we hear it. Somehow, somehow, mysteriously, we're able to justify going perhaps days, maybe weeks, even months without ever opening the word of God. 
putting in place a priority of allowing God to make himself known through the pages of his word, listening for his voice in the scriptures. We come to church and Sunday school, we listen to Christian radio, my goodness, it's everywhere, it's streams, it's DVDs, it's podcasts, I mean, it's all, it swirls all around us, but there's no substitute, you see, for hearing God's voice as he speaks to me in his word, as I just bow before him in the choicest hours of my day, each day, every day, because I'm convinced that his way is best. We find ourselves in Midian. <laughs> and we destine ourselves for a life of at least spiritual immaturity, carrying around with us to our grave the same petty hang-ups we had when we were young, powerlessness, joyless marriages, wilderness. <laughs> and then, of course, what happens is singing becomes grumbling. Look at the way the Middle of the chapter ends, verse 21. Miriam sang, <laughs> Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. The horse and its rider he has hurled into the sea. That's a song, and that's how that, that's how that, that section breaks. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea into the desert of Shur. And for three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. <laughs> wow, what a change. Singing all of a sudden turns to crumbling. When, when they came to Mara, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That's why it's called Mara. That's what it that means. The word literally means sour. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we doing? Wait, they were just singing. They were just dancing. And now they're crumbling. Now I find it interesting that this is as a result of Moses leading God's people. It's strange, isn't it? I wonder when Moses kind of felt the, the cue to, to take over the reins. Somehow it just... We lose this expression, the Lord said to Moses, it's just after the singing, the Moses, Moses led. Up to this point it was, and God said to Moses, and here it's Moses led the people. <laughs> Moses. I'll ask a question here. Who's leading you? leading your family is God or is, or is it you whose desires and preferences and agendas are controlling your life or maybe your mates or your own vision for your kids lives are, are you responding to that or, or are you listening to God 
Listen, if you're not listening for God's voice, if, if we're not somehow bringing ourselves under submission to him and to his word, kind of regularly placing ourselves under the ministry of his voice by reading prayerfully and humbly the scriptures that he has provided for, seeking him, making the foremost priority in our lives, then someone other than God is leading you. <coughs> leading me. Let's not kid ourselves. Being a Christian, busy, productive, burn at both ends, Christian, that's not the genuine item. It's not. Activity for God is a false substitute for communion with Him. For knowing Him through His Word. Like Barbie Bailey. I know Him! And not just hearing his voice, but obeying it. God said, and Moses did. Look where Moses led them, straight into the wilderness, into bitterness. How convicting is that? From the sea <laughs> to the desert. The desert of Shur, this is desolate. This is a rough swath of barren ground that spreads itself all the way from the lush, palm-lined um, properties of Egypt all the way up to Palestine. I mean, there's nothing there but dust after you leave the shores of the sea. If I'm going into the wilderness period in my life, I'd sure rather do that following after God rather than following my own senses. And they got lost. They got real lost. Moses literally led them in circles for three days. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. They were going in circles. Now conventional wisdom says that for the most part, depending on conditions and shelter and all those other things, the human body begins to suffer significantly after 48 hours without water. <laughs> three days is generally considered potentially nearing the end. Now there surely was some sort of supply, but panic, no doubt, was beginning to set in in the ranks of God's people. After three days without being able to resupply. And curiously, Moses continues this charade, and they have found themselves in a terrible dilemma, lost in the wilderness, and I, people live their lives like that. We can so quickly leave the lush provision of God's grace and wander into the desert. We just take ourselves out from under the protection of his word and just go it alone. We never even acknowledge him. And we find ourselves like Moses, kind of in circles, just settled into the desert experience, for whatever reason, deciding to go it alone. And, and there, there are likely Christians in this building today, good, delightful people who are no more living their lives based on what God has said than the average pagan out there. Because if we go even a day without his word and submitting ourselves to him, 
we're putting ourselves at risk. Well, here's what's in store, bitterness. They finally came to a lake. Can you imagine after three days seeing a lake? Man. Imagine the, the relief and the wonder and the joy. And Maybe they were tempted to start singing again as they kind of began to see the, the, the glimmer of the water on the horizon. Water. But look what happens. They, they came to this place, Mara, but they could not drink its water. So they must have tried, but it was so bitter. It, it was not even possible for them to ingest it. It's just bitter water after all that waiting. What a letdown. And I, I, I find this is also part of the human experience, apart from what God has provided to us. So many, so many people lost and bitter, with bad tastes in their mouths. Bitter relationships and bitter marriages, stale and lifeless, affectionless families because of a husband's sinful stubbornness or someone's refusal to submit to God's word, bring themselves under the, the cool, refreshing goodness of God's truth. How many broken homes and lives and families and relationships could have been spared the bitterness of these things if one had simply obeyed God's voice And did what he said. Can I tell you that the only thing that is going to make me and you more loving, more humble, more mature, more grace-filled, more faithful. Is the ministry of the word of God in our lives. And our obedience to it. That's the only thing. Here's the great news. <laughs> Even in all this wilderness, God still desires to speak. Verse 25. Moses cried out to the Lord. Oh, that's more like it. Hey, <laughs> that's more like it. That's our man. Okay. Now we got, there's a glimmer of hope. Moses turns from his own self-sufficiency, cries out to the Lord. This is not just a simple kind of SOS prayer. This is, a, this is the heartfelt calling on the Lord. That's the expression. He cried out to the Lord, help! What's it going to take to get you to still yourself What's it going to take to still myself from this kind of frenzied, overscheduled, frenetic life to turn and cry out to the Lord? Why does it always take desperation and desert and bitterness? But even in that, God can move. God can speak, and he does. Moses cries out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood a piece of wood, debris. There it was, right in front of him. Moses threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. Isn't that great? 
This is Moses finally facing reality. And when I face reality that I'm completely unprepared to handle what's in front of me, this is the response. I cry out. When's the last time you cried out to God? For anything. Not when was the last time you yelled. (laughs) That might have been at an intersection this morning. When's the last time you cried out to God for mercy? Because you were in so over your head, so lost, so going in circles, so paralyzed by this bitterness, so fearful, so sick, confused, whatever. This is the portal through which we travel to find our way back to God. This is it. A piece of wood. A piece of debris, but in God's hand it changes everything. And what you need is right in front of you. It's the word of God. And it's sweet. And it flows. An inexhaustible supply. then the Lord makes a decree. I love it. He's going to speak again. He's going to draw a line right there in the middle of the wilderness, in the midst of it all, that suffering and bitterness. God is given an opportunity to speak. If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. Listen carefully. Read. Pray. Meditate on God's word. Listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God. Listen carefully to what he says. And second, do what is right in his eyes. Don't just listen, follow, obey. Who cares if you do what is right in your eyes? (laughs) Or your mother's eyes, or your boyfriend's eyes, or your mate's eyes. Are you doing what's right in his eyes, God's eyes? The only way you're going to know it is to open his book and let him speak to you. Here's the promise, and it's what God says about himself. You do this, you listen carefully to me, and you follow after me in obedience, and I won't harm you or hassle you. In fact, I will bring sweetness into your life. I won't bring the diseases of disobedience upon you, for I am the God who heals you. I want to fix this. I want to bring mercy. I want to bring healing. I want to bring joy and gladness. I will turn bitterness to sweetness and discouragement to gladness, fear to confidence, brokenness to vibrant relationships, despair to hope. This is the way of God. He is your healer. Verse 27. They came to Elam. Twelve springs. Can I tell you something? Elam is still in the desert. But it's where God led them. Seventy palms trees. 
and it's a campground. Lakeside. How nice is that? Don't you want that? Don't you want that for your family? Don't you want that for your marriage? Wouldn't you rather have Elam than Mara? man was driving an old Ford on a remote road and it chugged to a stop. He was at a loss about what to do. He didn't know much about cars. I can relate to that. So he got out, opened the hood, and began to tap here and there, jiggle a wire. Heard a car roaring up behind him and he got closer. He saw it was a big, new, fancy something or other. A fellow was nice enough to pull over. He stepped out, he walked up and said, what's the trouble, man? He said, well, I can't get this old thing to go. Well, let me take a look, said this guy, this good Samaritan, stop. So he began to tinker, he got inside, he pulled on this. And he said, hey man, you got a screwdriver? Got under his seat, pulled out the screwdriver, gave it to the guy, and the guy did a little more stuff, and he sat down in the driver's seat, cranked it. The car roared to start, opened up. Wow, thanks a lot. How'd you do that? What's your name, by the way? Guy put his coat back on, his hat, and as he was walking to his car, he said, my name's Henry Ford. He said, I, I kind of know a little bit about these cars we made. You got some bitterness in that relationship there with your family? You know, God made family. Kind of knows a little bit about something he made. Why don't you just let him have a go at it? How about that marriage? Feel more like Mara than Elam? You know, God designed marriage. Kind of knows a little bit about it. Why don't you let him have a go? You know, that body of yours? <laughs> Guess what? made that too. Got a teenager you can't talk to? God made that teenager. I think he knows a little bit of something about how to communicate with something he made. Why don't you give, let him give it a go. <laughs> See what he says. We're a little long. Let's close with a benediction. Go to Sunday school.
Father God, make this so. You are our healer. Forgive us for ever trying to heal ourselves. We bring you everything today. Everything. Just do what needs to be done, Lord, we ask. In your name. Amen.